welcome to the first episode of the Paddle and Portage podcast. I'm Joe Fredericks. And I'm Matthew Baxley. Ah, Matthew Baxley. What a familiar voice. Uh, It's good to be back, Joe Fredericks, (laughs) sitting here with you talking about paddling and portaging. Welcome back to everybody listening. We missed you. Welcome back to some ice travel, too. It is that time of year. There's a lot of ice, and people are getting out on it. There's some ice. There's some ice, comparatively, and there's not a lot of snow, but it's coming. It's January. I mean, in the Boundary Waters this time of year, we're used to brutal cold, trudging through snow, getting in there, lake trout opener, that whole energy of early January. It's just a little bit different this year. It's a lot different this year. It is balmy, warm, temperatures going below freezing, going above freezing, going back below freezing, rain, snow. It's just like life. You (laughs) never know what to expect. (laughs) And you keep going. Speaking of keeping going... We're keeping going. The Paddle and Portage podcast is our place, your place, to share stories about the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, Quetico Provincial Park, Wabakimi, Woodland Caribou, Lake Superior, and beyond. Absolutely. You may have heard us uh, on other Boundary Waters related podcasts, and that's still what we're doing. But we've changed our platform a little bit to allow us to be able to expand the work, to add more to the types of stories that you're going to hear and the ways that you can hear them. Tell us a little bit about that, Joe, before we get into today's stories. Yeah, that's right. So Paddle and Portage is a Boundary Waters-focused media company that we started in January. Matthew and I are directly involved. You're going to be hearing from us monthly on the podcast, plus a lot of supplemental audio that isn't directly tied in with the main thread here where you're subscribed to the Paddle and Portage podcast. We're going to have a premiere account of the podcast where you're going to hear adventures with us in the Boundary Waters, interviews, things and news and information that didn't make it to the episode, not because they weren't of a high quality or interesting. They just don't fit into a, the theme of the episode, let's say. And because you're saying, Matthew, we're expanding our coverage of this area, that there's so much content that it just can't fit into these monthly episodes. So it's not even necessarily bonus. It's just additional content for people who are interested in what's happening up here in the Boundary Waters. Right. We assume you're listening because you love these stories. And for those of you that can't get enough of this, there's now an opportunity to go deeper, to go further, to hear more, to read more, to see more at PaddleAndPortage.com. That's right. We also have a monthly digital magazine that is now available in January uh, in the later part of the month on the 20th of each month. This digital magazine will be released, and that's for our members as well who are getting this supplemental, this bonus additional audio, however you want to think of that. That's available to our members at Paddle and Portage. And the digital magazine, Matthew, is not just like 
you scroll up and down the page. It's a flip book where you actually can turn the pages digitally and you're interacting with it just how you would reading a magazine at home or traveling, however you're going to be reading a magazine. You do that. It's just digital version. Exactly. It's beautiful. It is uh, stunning and captivating, just like what you expect from the Boundary Waters and beyond. Speaking of the magazine and the first issue, a good friend is here to tell us a little bit about a story from the first issue. All right, we are talking with Adam from Tumble Home. Everyone knows him for the podcast, but we're going to learn a little bit more about Adam, the writer. Dude, this is this is great. Tell us about uh, your piece. Yeah, so it's been been working on it since November, and uh, it ended up spanning quite the time frame, like going all the way back to the, the previous glacial maximum. So it's an unusual ice fishing story in that it goes from like 25,000 years ago to like an imaginary future where I'm no longer ice fishing and hopefully our son still is in some way uh, carrying on the tra- the tradition. And that's ultimately what the story ended up being about. Um, it's about the, tr- the tradition of going ice fishing on opener with family and then hopefully carrying on that tradition. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're hearing this before January 20th, that's when... Adam's article will be available in the Paddle and Portage digital magazine. If you're hearing it afterward, it's in the January issue. I've had the good fortune of reading the article, as has our copy editor, who is uh, pretty hard to please when it comes to content. Let's put it that way. And she also loved the piece. It's really good, Adam. It's It's got oh. all kinds of facts, and it's heartwarming, and it's just a smooth read, like, What's yeah. your history of writing? This this doesn't seem like your first well, go around. No, I mean I said in the piece I used to write for a living. You know, I got a I, I worked in newspapers and journalism and outdoors writing and freelance writing and all that for a good decade, well before I moved up here. And as I said in the piece, I sort of like fell out of love with writing. Um, maybe it was just one too many like city council meetings or budget cuts being made at the school board. That maybe like soured me on it, and I slowly got away from it, and to the point where I wasn't writing at all. And, um, you know, I do tumble home, so that's a creative outlet, but it's a whole different kind of way of doing it. Um, but, yeah, the structured, like, way to build a story and tell that story in the written form, it's been a long time since I'd, I'd done that. So, I mean, I did feel a little rusty uh, on the keyboard as I was typing it up. But uh, I felt like it came together pretty well. But, yeah, before I sent it off to you, um, you know, I had Natalie read it last night, my wife. And she was the first person that had read it. I've been working on this since like no, early November when we first talked about the idea. Mm-hmm. And so it's always like a nerve-wracking and like exciting uh, feeling of finally like passing it off to somebody else and letting them read it when you've been like you know holding this little secret project in your heart for so long. So she's she seemed pretty pleased with it. I think she may have cried at the end, and uh, which I was okay with because it's sort of. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of what I was going for. It's yeah. supposed to be like a emotional, sentimental kind of ending to it. Like I said, it's not your like typical ice fishing story. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of writing experience, but it's been a long time since I've tackled a project of this magnitude, for sure. Yeah, so to be out of writing because of the burnout of, of city government meetings and all yeah. those things that are the the rough and tumble of journalism in a small town, uh, to be getting back into the process and having it be about the Boundary Waters and family, yeah. th- how did that fit for you to re-enter through the Boundary Waters? Well, it's a good way to re-enter because it's the one thing I know the best and, um, you know, it's the whole reason I moved up here. And so, you know, if you have a passion for something, it's really easy to write about it, I think. But I don't know. I did write a lot of like outdoors freelance work back in the day and um, worked on, I worked for, you know, in that realm for a while. And to me, like all these ice fishing stories and whatever fishing stories in general, they all sort of follow the same formula. And I got kind of bored with that too. So then when I got an opportunity to like do something big like this again, I wanted to try and like branch out and do it in a new way, you know? So that's why I ended up reading about eskers and, you know, scrolling around looking at LIDAR maps in the late hours of the night by the wood stove. And, uh, you know, so that all like worked its way into the story as well, which I wasn't expecting when I started on it, but I'm pretty pleased with how it all ended up coming together in the end. It really fits in with what we're trying to do at Paddle and Portage, which is not just a, a rehash of that same old story that's been told a thousand times. Of, yeah. We went into the wilderness. We caught fish. Yeah. Here's what it was. Like, that's not what we're doing here. And so it fit great, Adam. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, sure, I can go into the really, you know, in depth on like exactly what we fished with and where we were. And, um, but I don't know. I think the best way to get good at fishing is just to practice a lot. And you're probably not going to like really learn all that much from reading about it. Um, you know, sure. You can take some ideas you've read in an article and try and apply that, but really the way to get after it is just to get out there and do it yourself. And yeah, I've always learned by doing things. And so I don't know, I didn't want to try and like preach too much with it, but you know, I wanted to make the story interesting and like multifaceted. And so yeah, I, like I said, I was really happy with how it all came together. But until like you actually send it off and have somebody else read it, and then hear that they also liked it and thought it would it made sense, because yeah. I also could have I wouldn't have been surprised if the reaction had been the complete opposite. Like, what is this? <laughs> really, what is this exactly? Um, so to hear that, you know, people who I respect and uh, you know that I enjoy sharing my stories with thought it it actually made sense. So that was uh, you know good to hear and a relief. Deliver the Goods, Adam from Tumbleholm, feature story in the January issue of the Paddle and Portage Digital Magazine, comes out January 20th. Thanks so much for doing this, Adam. Hey, thanks for having me. Matthew and I are so glad you're tuned in right now. This episode of the Paddle and Portage podcast is brought to you by Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters, located on Round Lake. Tuscarora is a full-service Boundary Waters outfitter serving Gunflin Trail entry points. They're now booking 2024 canoe trips and cabins. Check them out online at TuscaroraCanoe.com or at TuscaroraCanoe on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And support for the Paddle and Portage podcast comes from Ely Outfitting Company, Located in downtown Ely, their friendly and knowledgeable team shares expert Boundary Waters trip planning and routing advice. Ely Outfitting Company offers complete outfitting services, lightweight canoe rentals, and professionally guided tours. Now booking 2024 canoe trips. Plan your Boundary Waters trip now at elyoutfittingcompany.com. Successful Boundary Waters 
Canoe trips start with Ely Outfitting Company. And let's hear from another one of our sponsors. Enjoy this episode of Paddle and Portage brought to you by Women's Wilderness Discovery in Ely, Minnesota, gateway to the Boundary Waters. Experience canoe country in all seasons with our outfitted guided trips and workshops. Visit us online at womenswildernessdiscovery.com, Instagram, and Facebook. Discover your inner strength outdoors. To Adam from Tumble Home, and look forward to sharing that with everybody who is a Paddle and Portage member, and you can find out how to subscribe and become a member at PaddleandPortage.com. It's super easy to do. You sign up, and then you get this additional audio that we're talking about and the magazine every month. And Adam's story about his connection to the wilderness and how that's changed uh, through having a child in his life and family. It's just a beautiful piece. So check that out in the first Issue. There's also some interviews with a conservation officer who works up here in the Boundary Waters. We've got uh, a featured paddling destination, the Current River, down in Missouri. Uh, so we're going to travel just a bit outside the Boundary Waters. We're going to do that every issue. Uh, one featured paddling destination per issue. And all kinds of other news and information. Uh, one about a wilderness ranger on the Gunflint and Tofty District. So much content, Matthew. That's the first issue. That's just the beginning. We look forward to having you along for the journey. Let's get in to a story today about the ever-present, in some way, wind. In late September 2023, I paddled my solo canoe onto Pine Lake on the far eastern side of the BWCA. Pine is a stunning and massive lake with more than 18 miles of shoreline and a maximum depth of more than 100 feet. Aside from its incredible scenery, Pine is also known for this, being a wind tunnel. Stretching from east to west, with essentially little in the way of structure above the surface, the prevailing winds, particularly the west winds, are a common factor paddlers and people traveling on the ice during the winter need to consider when they arrive to Mighty Pine. During this particular fall trip, the wind was present, in fact wailing, but not the prevailing westerly winds common to the BWCA. It's late September, final days of September. and Once again, the wind's picking up. There's been this east wind for days, almost a week now, the east side of the Boundary Waters. And white cap rolling conditions, and it's just once again picking up again days of intense wind. And yeah, just been a windy trip out here. After paddling pine in my solo canoe on this day in late September, I arrived to a campsite where my friend Eric Dick is from Omaha and his son Justin had been staying for the past several days. The winds had been a major factor in their trip impacting both the ability to paddle and catch fish, which was a focus on the father and son trip that they embarked on. Dickus! What's up, Joe? Still windy out here. Real windy. Days of wind, dude. 25 mile hour gusts, constant 15 mile hour per winds. All week. Whitecaps. How's it impacted your trip? 
Oh, it impacts it majorly. It's the deciding factor of whether you're going to stay at camp all day or you get to go out on your day trips. and Or if you do decide to go on your day trip, how you're going to get there. you got to use the lake. Paddle a lot harder. Paddle a lot farther just to get where you're going back. you got to go one way. Just go the other. Let the wind blow you. Big waves. Keep the panic down. Do not let the waves go over the top of the boat. That's the goal. So for years now, I've been talking with Matthew, I've been saying wind is this huge factor that people overlook oftentimes they'll see the forecast oh it's a sunny day beautiful day and then you get out there and it's white cap rollers like wind is this huge factor on a trip and i think you experienced that firsthand it sounds like yeah wind is a huge factor it was sunny every day beautiful but the wind it dictated whether you're going to leave or not and it was a huge factor on this trip and makes you more aware when you're out there on the lake makes you more focused were you nervous paddling in those white cap rollers with your 13 year old son up in the bow i was really nervous uh yeah i was really nervous trying to keep that boat straight with the waves and uh not nervous like yeah nervous you gotta show some respect for the lake i was nervous for him and for me and stayed focused we talked about our emergency plan if they're something did happen i learned that on that last trip with you always have an emergency plan and stick to it that just in case have it a plan what you're going to do if the boat goes over because it was a serious uh serious waves out there we could went you could went over you and your solo it was waves going all the way up to the top of your boat uh-huh. it's real waves real scary and justin did great he paddled straight and hard and dug deep and glided down the the waves when you needed to and he did great, and he didn't get nervous. He, you gotta have trust in your canoe partner too. He trusted me. I'm glad for that, and he listened well. We're gonna paddle back in the wind now today. Headwind all the way, 25 mile an hour gusts. Ah, bring it on again. Here we go. This was 13 year old Justin's first trip to the BWCA, and wind was playing a role in how he viewed the boundary waters. It's been pretty scary. I've been pretty nervous about it. They were super big. They were rolling over the canoe. Uh, But we fought through it. We went to the portages and stuff, and it was really fun. It gave me strength. Did you think that wind was going to be such a big factor or such a big thing to deal with on your canoe trip? Not really. I thought the wind was going to be easy, to be honest. But then we went through the wind, and we were almost tipping and rolling. People talk so much about cold weather or rain or things like that, but it sounds like you didn't really think too much about the wind as being something that could impact your trip beforehand. Yeah, because we had everything packed for like the cold and everything, but not the wind. The wind was a very big problem for us. Well, it looks like you're safe here on shore and enjoying a pancake, so I guess you're all right, though, even though it was a little scary, huh? Yeah, they're pretty good, too. Wind is indeed the ultimate game changer on any trip to the Boundary Waters, and not just in the late fall on a canoe trip. Wind can impact winter recreation as well, even though there are no waves on the frozen lakes. The start of winter in 2023-2024 was most remarkable in the lack of snowfall at the start of winter. It also featured plenty of windy days as well. 
On an ice fishing trip last month in December, Adam Mella, who we heard from earlier in this episode, joined me and several others in pursuit of some early ice walleye at a lake right on the edge of the BWCA. We found some fish, but the weather was brutal. It was windy, rainy, foggy, and that dreadful wet cold that's more akin to the Oregon coast than the boundary waters during the winter months. As we reflected on the experience, here's what Adam had to say. A pretty good crew out there, and the weather conditions were not what I was expecting, even though I looked at the weather right before I left the house. So we had, we had uh, rain, fog, and we had wind. Uh, that's actually the, yeah. the takeaway. I mean, you were on your skates, you're getting water in your skating boots and all this, but yeah. my, my main memory is the wind. Where, well, yeah, what about that? I was, I was trying to convince you to go somewhere else that day, which would have been better off... Uh, because I don't generally sit in a ice house, you know. I just try and get up towards the shoreline that's going to be the least windy. And then you convinced us to come to the lake we went to, and it was like, well, that's going to be right in the, in the worst possible spot for the wind. So I did bring my big coat, but I also didn't think to bring the rain jacket, you know. So there's a, we had a lot of different kinds of weather to deal with there, rain, snow, and then, yeah, eventually that north wind did kick up pretty bad. And so, I mean, I did have the heavy coat, so it's all about just being prepared, right? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the only thing I really look at before I go out is the wind forecast. And I've got an app on my phone that just shows, like, the winds, like an animated map of the wind, and you can kind of scroll through in time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I had looked at that, and, I mean, it's saying 15 to 20 with maybe some heavier gusts. So I kind of knew it was going to happen. But when we had gotten out there and it was sort of raining, it was raining pretty good, actually, but there wasn't much wind. Um, so, but yeah, eventually after that kind of rain died down, then all of a sudden here comes the wind, of course. So a lot of BWCA paddlers and winter recreationists are not thinking about the wind to the extent that it sounds like that's the thing you look at. Why is, why is wind an important factor for you? Well, you know, especially if you're paddling, you know, you want to have a pretty good idea of what you're dealing with before you ever get near the water. Um, but it's really the thing that can wreck your trip the most. I mean, anytime I think about the the times where I've gotten myself in a real pickle out in the boundary waters or just out in nature in general, it's always been because of the wind, you know, it's very rarely like, Whoa, we got rained on so hard. It was dangerous. Well, that's just not really the way it goes. But if you get yourself into some really bad waves, uh, where you're not feeling very comfortable or you're taking water over the side of the boat, you know, that's the situation where it can actually be dangerous. And, You don't really face that with ice fishing, but, I mean, when you're talking about hypothermia, if you're standing out in the wind, um, you know, that can get to you real quick, but it can kind of sneak up on you. So I just try and be prepared and look ahead on that. You know, if it's going to rain on us, oh, well, the temperature in the winter doesn't make that big of a difference unless you're talking like 20 to 30 below or something, in which case I'm probably not going to be out fishing. So, yeah, really it's the wind is the main thing. And also, you know, the forecast you look at up here, half the time they're wrong on the temperature of the precip anyways. But generally, you gotta, you can get a pretty good idea what the wind is going to do, and you can kind of count on that. So at least you know what you know then. Uh, we should note that one person who was also out with us that day in December ice fishing, Ann Ward, uh, did not complain about the wind and outfished us both that day. Yeah, I didn't get anything. <laughs> it took me all the way till trout fishing opener to finally catch a fish. Those warm-up trips, which is what the I try and get out for walleye early. You might get a walleye, but at least you get to test out the gear and make sure you're like ready to go. But yeah, I, I got outfished bad, and uh, we still had a lot of fun though. Yeah. But yeah, it's great to see somebody get you know their first walleye out of the ice too. 
After observing how much wind can and does impact a trip to the Boundary Waters, no matter what time of the year it is, I wanted to learn more. Wanted to better understand the science of wind in and around the BWCA. So I reached out to the people who know this type of information better than anyone. Um, hi, uh, my name is Ketzel Levins. I am a meteorologist here at the National Weather Service office in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and here at the Weather Service office, I'm also part of a couple different focal point teams. One of those includes the climate and hydro teams. Okay, first question. What is wind? Getting really deep right off the bat. Um, uh, wind is really simple. Wind is just moving air, basically. Um, and in the very broad scheme of things, wind is moving air from high to low pressure. Um, so that can be anything from, you know, the really broad high and low pressure systems that we think about that cover, you know, a third or a half of the United States at a time moving from those. Um, or it can come down to a really, really local level, too, and just be, you know, the local pressure differences that occur from little temperature gradients or terrain differences, things like that. But moving air from high to low pressure is the the big, deep answer to that big, deep question. <laughs> Why are some days windier than others? What what makes for a windy day, you know? Sure. So some days are windier than others basically because the pressure gradient is greater. So um, a pressure gradient would just be the difference in pressure across a given area, uh, which generally means that you have some kind of system moving somewhere. Um, and so there is a bigger change in pressure across that given area, which causes the air to move faster, which we interpret as more wind. In the Boundary Waters, like some of the old school people that I go fishing with sometimes or talk to, they'll be like, yeah, that prevailing west wind, you know, you're going to be paddling down pine into this prevailing west wind. Is that like a real thing? Is that just sort of an old uh, sea notion or, or tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I did a little digging. Um, and so I'm trying to come at this from as, as data forward as a place as I can at first. And then, of course, we have to acknowledge the lived experience as well. Um, so I took a look at a couple of the weather stations that we have available to us. Of course, we don't have any weather stations that are in the middle of the wilderness because that kind of defies the point of the wilderness. But we have a lot of stations that are on the periphery. Um, the ones that I'm looking at are um, either airport stations or RAWS stations, which are put there by the Forest Service, which are often the most rural ones that you get. So I've got four that I looked at. One is the Seagull RAWS, which is pretty close to Seagull Lake out on the trail. Um, the Fernberg RAWS, which is pretty close to Snowbank Lake, uh, east of Ely, the Ely Airport itself. And then there is a station in Isabella as well. And so when we look at those stations, there is definitely a westerly component of the prevailing winds that we see through the year, as well as through what I kind of considered the, the main paddle season. I looked at May through October as well. Um, there's going to be a westerly component. It might not be due west, just depending on where you're looking. Um, but we definitely see kind of a northwesterly wind that is very frequently there. There is also pretty frequently a southerly component of prevailing winds, too. Um, but the Boundary Waters as a whole, from the data that we have, uh, certainly points to somewhere in that kind of southerly to northwest direction is the big clump of your prevailing winds across the wilderness. Um, the other interesting thing about the Boundary Waters that 
has to be acknowledged is um, obviously we have the data that shows us where these prevailing winds are coming from, which does back up pretty well what people are experiencing as far as, you know, that westerly wind being there. The other thing to acknowledge is that just the local terrain and geomorphology of a lot of the boundary waters is we have a lot of these east to west oriented lakes, especially along the borderlands and in the eastern boundary waters um, because of how the glaciers, glaciers came through and eroded down those kind of east-west oriented stream beds, is we have a lot of lakes that are oriented in those directions as well. So on a given day, even if you have more of a southwest or a northwest wind, the orientation of that lake is going to be such that as that wind comes across the body of water, Locally on the surface of the lake, it's probably going to be more just oriented along the long axis. That's what you're going to be experiencing as a a paddler. Um, And so that you're going to see a lot of. And even in a lake that isn't perfectly oriented east-west, there's a lot of long east-to-west fetches on a lot of these lakes. And if someone is not familiar with fetch, it's basically the um, length that you've got for wind to travel across a given portion of a body of water. Lake Superior is a really excellent example with an east or northeasterly wind. You have a super long fetch to work with, which is why we get really big waves from those wind directions. So the the local orientation makes a really big difference. Those winds can also kind of channel and squish um, as they kind of go down some of the more channelized lakes, which will locally enhance some of those winds that you feel as a paddler when you're out on the water. Well, how about in the winter? Is does the ice do anything or snow to slow or increase or just what, what wind means in the winter in the boundary waters? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so wind speeds can be greatly impacted by just how much friction you're generating. Um, so obviously in the summertime, we have a lot of leaves and trees that are fully leafed out and bushes and all of that kind of thing, as well as just the surface of the water. So as you generate waves, you're generating friction between the air and the water. And so that can influence things. In the winter, there's a lot less of that out there. Um, obviously up in your neck of the woods, there's quite a bit of, um, we have a lot, quite a few conifers, so those leaves are still there. Um, but when we look at our kind of, you know, our ice and snow covered landscape compared to our summer landscape, there's a lot less there. And so those winds can really just cruise across a frozen or snow covered lake compared to what they can do in the summer. Additionally, in the winter is when we usually have our stronger winds outside of you know, take a thunderstorm complex in the summer if you disregard that option. Um, just overall, you're going to have stronger winds in the winter. Um, and so then that's going to be adding on to a landscape that can be conducive to really feeling those winds cut across you. I just finished this book about people who have died or been in really dangerous situations in the boundary waters. And some of the themes that came up were like search and rescue people from Duluth, St. Louis County Rescue Squad and stuff saying that, you know, people will see it's a really sunny day and just total disregard for water temperature and like wind, you know, they get really fixated on like, is it going to rain today? Oh no, it's sunny. And here we go. Let's launch our trip. Perfect day for this canoe trip. And then it's like white cab rollers on, you know, brule or whatever, and they yeah. get in a bad situation. As a meteorologist or just somebody who goes to the boundary waters, like, why do you think that wind is just so often overlooked or is it overlooked? Yeah, I can definitely say from 
our perspective in the National Weather Service, we're not paying any less attention to wind when we're doing our forecast than we are any other variable. But it is very true in the public opinion, um, or at least the public perspective, that wind can get overlooked, especially because when you're on you know, just land, it takes a lot of wind before you start noticing it. Um, but when you're on lakes, it's a completely different story. I actually used to work as a sea kayak guide on Lake Superior over in the Apostle Islands. And obviously the big thing that you think about there is wind and what that's going to do. Um, but you did frequently see the people who were coming on trips with us that wasn't the first thing that was on their mind. They were concerned about rain and thunderstorm chances, which is there's an obvious reason why people are going to be concerned about those things because they are a much clearer and apparent threat than wind can be. Um, so we have wind in all of our forecast products. Um, if you go, you know, to find a forecast on our website, or if you're listening to the weather radio, which I strongly suggest people who are going into the boundary waters have a weather radio, that's going to be one of the things that gets read off is that wind forecast. Um, and it is important to acknowledge that there are going to be this kind of local enhancements that I talked about before, where if you're on, you know, the windward side of a lake, it might be a little bit stronger. It might've been able to kind of cruise across that lake and pick up some speed. And obviously that's going to have an impact on waves as well. Where does the national weather service get the conditions and the forecast for the boundary waters? Is that like satellites or how, how are you getting the information for the boundary waters? Yeah, as far as observed data goes, um, we have a number of stations on the periphery of the boundary waters, essentially. Um, and then there is quite a bit of satellite data and radar data that we can get. Um, one of the challenges of forecasting for the BWCA, however, is that it is such a data sparse area. Um, and when, you know, for example, thunderstorms or winter storms are coming across, we're don't have a ton of real-time data that's coming in for us. Uh, so it is a challenge and we have to kind of take the weather stations that we do have around the boundary waters and interpolate between them in order to come up with our best guess, essentially, um, as for trying to figure out what's going on there. Uh, last winter, I actually got to be part of a snow survey project um, where we weren't going all the way into the boundary waters, but we were getting a lot closer than we have any other observations regularly coming in for measuring snow depth and how much water is in the snowpack. Um, and so there are efforts that go into collecting more data um, and we have observers who are on the, the periphery, but we don't have any data that's actually in the middle of the wilderness itself. So it's just a lot of interpolation as well as using radar and satellite data that can give us some idea of what's going on. Tell me a little more just about you. Like, are you from Minnesota? How about the Boundary Waters? Like, how'd you learn about this place? Yeah. Um, so I'm 25. I'm in my third year here at the National Weather Service. Um, I graduated from UW-Madison back in 2020. I'm actually originally from Bayfield on the South Shore. Um, and so I moved to Duluth with my partner after we had graduated um, I didn't go into the Boundary Waters much as a kid, but I've gone in quite frequently now as an adult, um, and we spend a lot of time on the North Shore. My preferred season is actually probably winter up the North Shore. Uh, we love to ski and snowshoe and just get out and experience the absolute dead silence that comes uh, with winter up, up in the wilderness area. 
and then so lastly, just uh, this idea. I think anglers. I mean, certainly myself, uh, pay a little more attention to wind than like this idea that east wind. Did you you saw that note about like when the mm-hmm. winds out of the east, the fish bite the least. What about like either wildlife or fish or or what wind means for some of those types of things? That would be a really great question for, I think, you know, maybe someone at the DNR, someone who specializes in wildlife a lot more. Um, The only experience I have with um, how winds might influence ecosystems is more on Lake Superior with the upwelling cold temperatures that can happen under certain uh, wind directions. But I unfortunately don't have much experience with that. And I will be the first one to admit that I am a extremely bad angler. Uh, so I'm probably not the one I should, you should go to for that information in the first place. I followed up on Ketzel's advice from the National Weather Service and reached out to a local expert in the world of fishing in the Boundary Waters. Hi, I'm EJ Isaac. I'm the Grand Marie Area Fisheries Supervisor. So wind out of the east, fish bite the least. I have a buddy from Iowa who swears that up and down. Is it true? Yep, that's all you need to know. <laughs> so, so this is kind of a, a, a complex, complicated sort of a, a system, and and uh, I think it's not necessarily easily described. So, to maybe put things a little bit in a nutshell, weather can be complicated, and it's, it, since it's not a, a laboratory setting, it's Sometimes fishing could be good or bad, even though it looks like the same conditions you were fishing. Other factors play play into why fish may be biting or not. So the fact that winds out of the east doesn't necessarily mean, oh, it's because of that wind direction that the fish aren't feeding. It usually has more to do with changes in barometric pressure. So where we're located here, a lot of our weather comes from the west, and those are kind of the typical pattern of weather. And when it switches and comes out of the east, it's usually meaning there has been some sort of front that has moved through. And that change in barometric pressure is what's driving changes within the lake that allowing or not allowing fish to want to feed. So in that sense, my buddy who just likes to pretend he's a scientist when we're out there, or I always thought it was just an excuse for him not catching fish, there's actually some science behind that or some logic yeah, there, there is. And there's also, you know, we talk about correlation versus causation, meaning it, the wind blowing out of east isn't causing fish to not want to feed or fishing is poor, but it's correlated with other factors that are influencing dynamics within the lake that cause fish to not want to bite. Yeah. Anything else related to that or like just wind in general and fishing? Okay. So as far as wind goes, sometimes in my opinion, the biggest driver of of where you're catching fish or not is, is say boat speed or presentation speed. If it's really windy and you're used to drifting or trolling, you may be trolling or presenting baits too fast for fish when they're either stuck on a, a location or you're trying to reach the fish. Your bait isn't able to do that because wind speed is causing causing your lures to move too quickly. Like the wind is pushing your canoe down. Maybe you're used to paddling over this reef or hump around this island, whatever it is, at a certain speed in your canoe, but now it's windy and you've got that pushing you and you're paddling, 
your lure is just flying over the spot. That's exactly right. Maybe you're dragging something along the bottom. You're used to dangling on the rocks and you're getting it in the strike zone right where the fish are. But if your canoe is blowing a lot faster, your bait is up high in the water and it's going over the top of those fish and they may not be seeing it. So wind can definitely play a, a really big factor in how you get your presentation down to, to, to those fish. It may also dictate where bait fish are located in a lake. Say it's blowing in, in a certain direction and that some of that warm surface water gets stacked up in that opposite end of the lake and that might be blowing small food resources like zooplankton and other aquatic insects over that way. And then the fish kind of all move towards that because uh, food resources are being aggregated in that location. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Wind is the ultimate game changer on any trip to the Boundary Waters. That being the case, our pal Eric Dickus from Omaha reminds us that the weather is just the weather. It's not to be confused for life itself. Another thing that I think is a huge thing that affects trips is the company that you bring out here in the woods. You, When you're out here, especially with the wind, you're stuck at camp. You can't go anywhere. You better be happy with that person you brought with you. Otherwise... It's a long trip, a long night. Camp is not fun. This trip here, I have my son Justin, and then you showed up here, and it's it's a great trip. This is great company. Couldn't ask for better. With the wind, it's fine. So I say company is most important for me because when you're at camp, you're at camp a lot when it's windy, and that's who you're with. And you just want to share these beautiful moments up with people you, that you're close with. That's That's the main deal for me. What's a memorable day for you when it comes to wind in the Boundary Waters? Oh, boy. I mean, I think I've shared this story a number of times, but crossing SAG, uh, coming from the west along the Border Lakes, the Voyager Highway, in October, in snow-slash-freezing rain with the wind at our backs howling at least 20-30 miles an hour fog all over Saginaw passing by Cache Bay and passing by Cache Bay passing by American Point and entering into that vast open water uh, in the middle of Sag with fog all around so that the shoreline was barely discernible dialing in the compass point and following the coordinates with the wind at our backs pushing us temperature around 33, 34 degrees. We made it, but it was uh, white-knuckled the whole way, Joe Fredericks. (laughs) And I'm sure many of you have had similar, if not maybe even the same experience. It's iconic. Mm. Yeah, and that's why wind is such a big deal and something that needs to be taken very seriously. Those shoulder seasons, May, September, October, like wind has such an impact 
at all times of year, but that's when like safety issue, life or death type scenarios can occur uh, if you were to capsize uh, due to wind. So there is a serious element, obviously, of of today's episode and this theme of wind. Exactly. And it's good to bring attention to it. It's good to be talking about it. And it's good to be thinking about it as we plan our trips. Just another way to be mindful of how we exist with the wild elements of a wild place. It's also obviously a huge factor in the winter months that we're in now. I remember I've just gotten my Eskimo insulated ice shack the first year. I've had it out probably twice. I'm fishing on seagull and the wind was so vicious and it pushed in it like vicious violently caved in one of the walls the wind collapsed and it snapped one of the buckles wow it's still busted (laughs) jeff nemitz our buddy's always harping on me get that thing fixed and so wind obviously in the winter for the cold aspect but when you're winter camping it can impact a trip i remember when the wind knocked you over (laughs) skiing across the boundary waters when we were coming out from windshield the poplar Knocked you clean off your feet, your sled, before that was off next to you being pushed by a side wind while you were going forward. And then all of a sudden I looked up again and you were on the ground. I hope today's episode leaves an impression on our listeners and our community of Boundary Waters enthusiasts and and people who live up here and so forth that wind has such an impact. Be mindful of it. Yeah, and don't forget. I mean, we make this for you. We're telling you our stories of wind. We want to hear from yours. You can either record it, write into your phone, and email it to us. You can type it out and send it to us. You can send it to info at paddleandportage.com. We exist for you, with you, and by you. We're so grateful to have you along on the journey. And don't forget, with this new podcast, we love you clicking the like, subscribe, rate. Go to paddleandportage.com. And if you want to find that supplemental, that extra audio, interviews and recordings from the wilderness, things like that, you do it at paddleandportage.com. Become a member. You get all that content, plus the digital magazine and read about Adam's story and all the other content that's in the first issue. I sure missed all you listeners. I know Joe did, too, and it's great to be back. Yeah, great to be back. Now get out there and get to work. You took like two months off. You haven't done anything for two months. My muscles are atrophied. I can't move. There's no way home. There's no way home. Up at the tree line, look at the whale. Clouds through the peaks now, like a torn sail. And there's no way home There's no way home There's no way home Oh, look at that mountain When the green light fails Clouds piling up now In a blistering gale There's no way home There's no way home There's